Welcome to the realm of magic and mystery, classic horror and sci-fi. You are now entering the House of the Unusual podcast with your hosts, Eddie and Joe. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again to the House of the Unusual podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pavlansky. With me, as always, is the maestro and owner of House of the Unusual, Eddie Guevara. Today's guests, they, they really don't need any introduction. These guys are have been on here many a times, and you guys know them very well. We have the horror magician Chuck Caputo and publisher Dave Haversat. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast once again, and thanks for joining us. Hello. Hey, guys. Hey, Joe. Glad to have you guys on here. And before we get started, just a few quick announcements for everybody out there. Head over to houseoftheunusual.com and check us out. We got a ton of videos we have a free mailing list and a free form that you could sign up for and join in some very good conversations there. We got some members posting a lot of cool pictures on there of their collection or, you know, some items that they might be looking for. And then also we have some friends of House of the Unusual. You should definitely check them out. We have Todd Machen and the Sea Monkey Store. So head over to c-monkeys.com for all your underwater sea monkey needs. And we have, oh, let's look here, Stupid Comics Magazine, and that's stupid spelled S-T-O-O-P-I-D. And there are four issues out of this magazine with the uh, fourth issue, because it goes zero, one, two, three. So the fourth issue is due to drop anytime. And this is a really cool black and white comics magazine, little mashup of Mad Magazine, Cracked in the Far Side, all rolled into one. And man, the issues are, are funny. Also, check out, ooh, what do we got here? Here we go. 1878press.com, uh, the publishing website of Dave Haversat. Check that out. A lot of cool books on there that you could find. Also, mymoviemonsters.com. Check out Scary Monsters number 122. I have a current article in there on the Three Stooges and one of their, uh, well, two of their their horror-type themed uh comedy skits so check that out issue number 122 is out it's also at your local store so let's get started here we got some great conversations ahead about magic and uh you know what dave you haven't been on for a while so i'm going to turn it over to you first brother and uh just tell everybody uh, a little bit about yourself if they've maybe never heard you where you know i know you have a few different uh websites out there uh if you want to give that out and tell them a little about yourself and maybe, you know, what's new from the last time we spoke. Sure, Joe. I appreciate it. Well, yeah, my name is Dave Haversat. Uh, basically everything I do as far as a career for many, many years is in the magic field. I used to be more of a performer, but I, I haven't performed magic uh, in some time professionally, basically into manufacturing magic selling it um, wholesale and retail trade and publishing books on magic and uh, pre COVID, you know, would go to a number of conventions and sell my wares and so forth. So uh, yeah, that's basically, you know, my background is it's in the magic field one way or the other. Um, I know Chuck is also, you know, he's a manufacturer and has a great mind for coming up with things. Uh, he's probably done a heck of a lot more shows than I have done. But, um, yeah, I'm basically all about making tricks and selling them to amateurs and professionals alike. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. And we'll get more into all that as the uh, the podcast goes on. So, Chuck, I'm going to turn it over to you, brother. And uh, same deal. Let everybody know what's up. All right. Hey, it's always pleasure coming on here. I, I enjoy coming on here and uh, I enjoy talking to Dave. I mean, he's a very knowledgeable guy. He's like a, he's like a walking encyclopedia, you know what I mean? So, I, so Dave, it's always good to talk to you, but uh, yes, my name is Chuck Caputo and I'm a professor in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I've been doing it for about 38 years professionally. <clears throat> and uh, I travel throughout the, throughout the tri-state area. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I do, I do all occasions, you know, adults, kids, you know, uh, and I, and I do uh, create magic effects, which I've sold them worldwide. 
And uh, yeah, so we're getting all, all all ready to go with the with the product line with Eddie, and I'm excited. One thing that might appeal to Dave one one effect Dave is uh, is is the is the haunted Houdini letter. It's it, it's a really cool effect that I put together. I think I think you'll get a. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Uh, Eddie's told me a little bit about it, so it sounds sounds cool. Awesome. All right. Well, guys, thanks for joining us. So, Eddie, I'm going to turn it over to you. I know there's a ton of new stuff that, that's brewing over at the House of the Unusual, so uh, let us know what's going on. Well, the first thing all is that as uh, we just kind of uh, getting finished getting together the entire line of products, not the entire line, but we have for now from Chuck, which is composers of about a total of about between seven and eight different magic tricks. There's going to be two lines. One's going to be a more, you know, cheaper version of the, of the products. And then we're going to have a deluxe horror edition. Um, they're all going to be introduced uh, in the next couple of days. I'm going to set the actual date of, of the uh, live broadcast when Chuck is going to come on. I'll be saying it probably by next week uh, in the next uh, podcast when we do it. Now, one of the questions I wanted to ask, and, and this was very interesting, a while back, uh, Dr. Saab had contacted me, and he was interested in a little character that was um, appearing in a lot of the early magic tricks. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting because I've seen the character a million times, and, and I said, you know what, Dr. Fob, I'm, I'm gonna, I got to pull my sources because you, gotta, you kind of got me on this. And I called up Dave and, and I emailed him one of the photographs. And, and um, Dave, you told me a story about a guy named Jules or something that was back when you were with SS Adams. Uh, can you collaborate a little bit on that? Tell us a little bit about that again. Yeah, um, I mean, he was well before my time. But back when, you know, SS Adams had started in 1906, it was basically just a one-man operation with Sam Adams. And uh, as time went on and he got older and the, the company was very successful, um, he was looking for someone else to come in, you know, maybe with new ideas. And there was a gentleman named Jules Traub. And Jules uh, came on board as a partner with SS Adams. And there was a lot of disagreements, I guess, kind of early on, but they plowed through it despite that. Uh, there was so much animosity, and I don't really know all the details about it, but Jules Traub left, uh, you know, Neptune, New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey area. He went to Chicago, and he started a business called Fun Incorporated, um, what is known as Fun Incorporated today. At that time, it was Royal Magic, and um, he basically took the ideas, you know, like the bug in the ice cube and a lot of the jokes and that, of course, infuriated SS Adams and uh, because they felt that they let this outsider in. And then he took all the ideas and he started his own company, which became competition. So years later, what ended up happening was Jules Traub sold the business to a guy named Graham Putnam, um, who ran it for many, many years. And when Graham bought the Royal line and fun incorporated. Um, he also bought what was called fish love novelties, you know, which made the chattering teeth and the, the giant sunglasses and that type of thing. So again, they were still competition because we were doing the jokes and magic, but Adams developed a good rapport when Jules Traub left and they would make our plastic items like the magical block and that type of thing. And then we would make coin items and metal things for them so when i became part owner of ss adams you know we were in contact every day practically with different projects and purchase orders and going back and forth and um so it was just kind of a a, a story about you know how one company started from another but then in the end they both got along and uh, they were compet you know there was competition and, com and competitors but it was friendly. Um, but that character that you showed me that goes like way back, uh, or what I think it is. And that's the Royal line. And that little character then developed into what was known as Hokey, which is like a little, which is still a mascot with fun incorporated. They're still in the Chicago area. Um, so that's what I could tell you about 
you know, that information, you know, with, yeah. with ads. Yeah, that, that information. Yeah, because when we had mentioned that, um, which it kind of shocked me, I didn't realize even doing business with them, that uh, Franco-American Novelties was uh, way back in 1910. Um, <laughs> you kind of opened my eyes on that. Um, and, you know, as, as I have told a lot of the people, Franco-American Novelties was actually my first uh, creditor when I had my magic shop back in 1989. And and Bob was really cool with me because uh, he, he allowed me to to get my first line of products that I, I sold from them. And I when I had a, a special a while back on a, an unboxing I did for the YouTube channel, Dr. Saab had looked at it. And he was shocked that I had so many Franco items. And he's like, oh, my God, I collect this. So that's how it came into question with the little character, because he was looking through some of his old novelties and he seen the character in a couple of things. And he kind of made it. Uh, everybody go for a drink now. Everybody kind of like yeah. me searching for the <laughs> the seven foot robot plants. You know? Take a drink. He goes, Eddie, I have to I have to get this, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Dave, the other question I want to ask you and Chuck uh, and this is an important one because I know I've, I've talked to both of you and you both had pretty interesting stories. And I think our listeners would love to hear this. What is the best stories? And you can tell when you were on the road traveling with magic and doing performing magic and what were the, the funniest or the strangest <laughs> happenings you had and which are the best peoples to hang out with magicians or ventriloquists? Um <laughs> I guess we can start with uh, whoever, whichever one of you guys want to start. Go ahead, Dave. How about Dave? Okay. Well, as I said in the intro, um, I I haven't performed a live show for quite some time. The ones I do now are kind of just really like for charity type things like muscular dystrophy or, you know, something for the Shriners or, you know, St. Jude. But um when I was growing up and I got into magic, I fairly early on as a teenager, I was, um, you know, doing kids' birthday parties and things. And then uh, as I got older and was in college, I actually put myself through college doing magic shows on the weekends. And it was around that time I opened up a, a magic shop and was booking shows through the through the shop. And then I would get, you know, you get these agents that book different things, clowns and uh jugglers and different events but i remember one once i was hired to prize party for this girl that i guess liked magic this is what the agent was telling me and um her friends are going to be there they're going to throw the surprise party so i said okay sounds good and it was pretty decent money but the catch was that it was at a rite aid pharmacy and they were going to surprise her on her break and go in the back room. And I was to do magic and so forth. So when I get there, um, you know, they're like, they're looking at me because I've got my magic and so forth. And they're, they're looking at me kind of strangely. And I go in the back. And the long story short is it's kind of a long story is they had not hired a magician, but they had hired a stripper. <laughs> but, the, but but the the agent had it all screwed up you know <laughs> so here i am and you know and i don't know how they thought they're going to pull this you know oh, off in the God. back of a pharmacy but i guess the manager and everyone was involved so i'm there and you know i was doing like car tricks and close-up type <laughs> stuff and they're just staring at me like well what's what's next <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so I, it was it was it was an interesting conversation on the way home with that's with the agent. Um, but I, I so that that story always stands out. There's been other things. I used to do dove magic and uh, a couple times, you know, I've had mishaps where I was performing at a fire department. You know, they have high ceilings and the dove would fly up in the rafters and. Oh yeah, um, I've been outside and the doves fly away, and then three hours later, <laughs> well, they call me. You know, the people that I was at the party, and and then I'm traveling to another show, and they're trying to contact me, saying, "Hey, your dove came back. You know, it's here." <laughs> um, <All right. laughs> Dave, my question. Yeah. Did you give them the rest of the performance? <laughs> well, you know, at the 
was a lot younger, and I remember one of the girls saying, "Well, you, you got the body for you. You might as well do it. You're here. You're here." <laughs> and I said, "No, no, no wonder why the money was so good." <laughs> um, and you know, I've just there's been other experiences. I I would help a an elderly magician who was somewhat of a mentor. He was part of uh, our magic club, you know, and when you're in a magic fraternity, most people are either in the Society of American Magicians or the International Brotherhood of Magicians, and I belong to both. And there was a gentleman there who was a lot older, and I would help him uh, do shows. He carried around big equipment to do, like, you know, small kid shows. And um, he was hired to do, like, a bicentennial event, and there was thousands of people um, like in the street, you know, and they close off the street and he was up on the stage. I'm helping him. And he had this thing, which would look like a giant saw, like a, a lumberjack saw, um, type thing. And, and the Chuck may not know who this guy was, but there's a guy named Phil Moore and he built these elaborate metal illusions. Um, not many of them, very few. He may only made six of each and then he would move on to something else. But I'll never forget. There was this woman that came up and it's just, it's not a stooge or anything like that. Um, and it's not an assistant, it's just someone picked from the audience. This woman comes up and we're going to saw her in half. And uh, my friend, Willie, his name was Willie Liberty. <laughs> he, I grabbed one and they saw and, he grabs the other end and as we're sawing there is a gimmick in the blade well it totally sucked up her she had silk shorts on like you know like low cut shorts it just totally ripped them off <laughs> <laughs> and uh she was just left there in her own <laughs> and as we were going back and forth, she was going, ow, ow, ouch. Ooh. And of course, the audience is laughing. They're thinking that's part of the thing. But she, the, the gimmick was really pinching her skin. <laughs> so, oh. um, yeah, the, you know, I, I've had, you know, a lot of great shows and so forth. And I, I really enjoyed it. But um, the, the stripper one probably takes the cake. Oh, you know? man. Yeah. Well, yeah, what, I, I would definitely say so. That would be a uh, that would be quite a shock. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But I mean, like I said, I'm sure Dave said, "Wow, man, with the money I'm going to be making in magic, who needs to do anything else?" No? <laughs> oh wow. Well, what about you, Chuck? What do you got? Oh man, I tell you what that that uh, that stripper one's pretty funny. You know, most of Dave's stuff's got some got some pretty funny stuff. Mine are kind of bizarre. The things that stand. Uh, uh, but the one thing I would like to mention exactly what what uh, Dave said, you, you know what, throughout the years I've performed a lot for the, for the Children's Hospital here in Pittsburgh and, and for kids that are terminally ill, and that's very, very gratifying. You, you know what, I'm very honored to do that. And, uh, you, you know, it just... That's, I mean, I'm mean, like, that's what magic's all about, you know, when, when you, you know, when you bring a smile to a, you know, to a child's face. But, uh, uh, but there's a couple of things that stand out, guys. One is a, one is a haunted nunnery that I did. This was shortly after I was married. Uh, we, we were married in 1992 and our first child, Michael was just a baby. And so basically I had a call maybe about two days before the show from a supposed nun. It was a very old woman that said, you know, you know, would like to see, uh, uh, would like to hire you for a magic show. And, and uh, so I said, okay. So I wrote down the information and so forth. And that date was open. That time slot was open. I think it was a Friday or a Saturday evening. Actually, toward the toward dusk, where, where the where the sun was just going down, and and so I really didn't have a chance to confirm this because it was only like a day or two before. So I followed her directions, and this is pre uh, GPS. So I just followed her directions, and I went into this parking lot, literally in the middle of nowhere. Okay, it was a fall evening, sometime in October. There was leaves blowing around, and I went in these big iron gates. I drove in this huge. And I went to the building where she said to go. It was a big old stone building and it had the, the, the iconic door knockers, you know, with like a lion's head on it. And I said, what is going on here? And so I knocked at the door, you know, it was a loud thud. Just you waited. There. I was, 
yeah, I was wondering what is going on. I said, is this a hoax? You know what? Am I going to get the blood sucked out of me? I, I don't know what's going on, you know? And, and then about maybe two minutes later, the big door opens up. It was a big, it was a big wooden door with a loud creak, just like you'd see in the movies. And this nice little old lady was standing there. And so she said, Oh, you must be the magician. I said, yes, yes, I am. And, and so I was glad that it wasn't. So she said that, yeah, we'd like to see magic. We're a bunch of retired nuns. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I said, okay. I said, well, show me where to set up. So I went inside. I followed her to a room off to the side somewhere. And I set all my magic stuff up. You know, I uh, bring a lot of tables and stands, a lot of, you know, you know, uh, pretty cool stuff. And then about maybe about, they all started piling in. They were very, very nice. They were sweet, sweet little old ladies and they loved magic. I mean, they, they to be a really good story but it was really strange i mean that was one of the strangest things uh the other thing i can think of was i performed a magic show for no audience if you can believe this all right this was probably 20 years ago uh the woman that hired me she was kind of sketchy but she did give me her name and everything and i didn't have a chance to mail a contract so i just took her word for it about two days before the performance i tried calling her and calling her it always went to voicemail and so I just showed up to the place and this was an exclusive, like a, like a country club type of thing. So my wife and I went, went inside and yeah, so they said, yeah, it's in the back room. And so I went in there, there was, there was tables set up place, but there was nobody there. Absolutely nobody. And so I thought that was a little strange. I was about an hour, hour, you know, uh, uh, prior to the show starting so I could set everything up. So I started setting my apparatus up, and it's about maybe uh, maybe 15 minutes before the show is supposed to start. There's nobody there. It's, you know, it was still vacant. And my wife, I said, what is going on here? Somebody should be coming in. And then at, at uh, what's supposed to be the show time, a few band members come in. These these guys were were setting up for the band. And I said, do you, do you know the person that hired us? I, I can't seem to locate her. So they said, yeah, we can't get a hold of her either. So it's about 20 minutes later, they're setting up, I'm done setting up, and there's nobody there. Finally, about a half hour later, the woman that hires me comes walking in. For some reason, I can still remember that. And I said, Christina, I said, uh, I said, I said, what's going on? There's, there's no audience. And she said her and her husband are going through a bad divorce. And it's a very bad divorce. And he's a very wealthy man. And he talked to members of her family and friends and said, do not show up to this party. And so she told me, Chuck, why don't you just break down, just pack everything up. I'll still pay you. I said, no, I, I said, we could still make this work, Christina. I said, how about if the band members and yourself sit down, watch my show. And then my wife and I can sit down with you and uh, so we could hear some music from the band. So that's what we did. So we kind of turned a, turned a, turned a negative into a positive. So it was just her and maybe four guys that would sat there and they, and they watched our show. And then when I was done, I just sat down with my wife and we watched them play some music for a while. So <laughs> it was a very strange experience, but it did, but it did actually. That's pretty cool. At least you guys, you know, figured out a way to make it work and yeah, you know, have to just pack back up and, and leave. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I felt bad that the woman was going through that. And since I was all set up, I said, listen, I don't want to just break down. I said, let me do the show, you know? And so you the know, band Chuck, had... she, she could have asked you to strip for her. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't think it would have won too well there with the wife there, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But here's a question, Chuck, about the whole thing. Um, this wasn't in the first haunted house you were in, right? No, I've done some strange. I've, I've done some shows in strange places, you, you know, uh, you know, uh, throughout the years. And I, I think I told you guys in a, in in like an earlier podcast when I was a kid, I actually grew up in a grew up in a haunted house where there was footsteps, you know, and so forth. And even when we bought the house we live now, I mean, the fans would turn on the ceiling fans when we go up to sleep. Uh, the back door, which was my office at the time, was wide open. And I'm like almost paranoid. I always double bolt everything, you know, and it was just, you know, yeah. So I, so I've actually experienced par paranormal activity is and I've performed in some strange places uh, throughout the years. That's, that's for sure. Is that your start of a horror magician? <laughs> yeah maybe the only other thing i can remember guys is you know like people in general wants to perform at a private party whether it's close up or a, an actual maybe like a little stand-up show you know what i've i've heard 
arguing, you know, fighting in the back room. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So it's like, oh man, you know what? I just, I just go about my business. I just do the show and I, I don't hang around. People always tell me, Hey, Hey, come inside, have something to eat. You know, to, you know, I'm not there to eat. You know what? I try to keep it as professional as possible. You know what? I don't want to get involved with, you know, some, you know, some crazy stuff. Like I said, people argue, people fight. I mean, this is the real world we're in. You know I mean? There's no one has a perfect life. And uh, yeah. yeah, so I've, so I've overheard a bunch of different arguments and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, and people get drunk at certain things and they start arguing or whatever. You know, I just back up and get out. <laughs> you, uh, you know, my my other question I wanted to ask, Chuck, and, and this is kind of funny. It's uh, I guess this applies a little bit more to you than it would for uh, Dave. Uh, but I don't expect you to answer it because of the situation. You're still a performer. Uh, Dave, in your line of performing when you did magic and, and I know you guys dealt with both ventriloquist people, magicians. And stuff, and like I said, Chuck, you don't need to elaborate that much. You still are a performer, you know. Uh, what would you say would be the better person to get along with if you uh, if you're traveling down the road with them? Uh, and you know, Dave, I guess I'll, I'll ask you first. Well, you know, I did. I've never really gone to um, ventriloquist uh, conventions or been on a show with one. I I put on a magic convention once which I was like the promoter and I had a ventriloquist and that was about, you know, as far as it went. Um, but I've worked with like clowns and uh, I know people like clowns and so forth, but um, I, um, and they I've had, scare you? <laughs> well, they, no, they, they don't scare me, but it's, uh, uh, it, it depends, you know, on how professional, I guess the same with, magicians or any you know whether you're working with a band or whatever but there's something about clowns that they're they're <laughs> they're always trying to upstage you mm. um you know or uh interrupt um your show and so forth but you know you, you just you got to be professional and get along with you know everyone but doing conventions and so forth i mean like it's like anything if you're into model railroading or you know, Star Trek conventions or whatever it is. That's like the hardcore, you know, of the the profession or the hobby. And um, I, I think in a, in every uh, category, there's people who are they're just they're strange. You know, there's just <laughs> there's no there's no doubt about it. I I made this trick. I still make it. It's called the color changing rope. That was something that was invented by Art Khan of Xanadu many 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 years ago. And uh, when I took over the business, you know, I still make them to this day. It's a, you know, white rope changes to red or, you know, blue, or you could make them vice versa. And um, I saw them at conventions because sometimes at a convention, you get people who are really entry level as well, the very basic. Um, and that's a, that's a very easy thing for someone to learn. Well, there's a guy that I know who's at every convention and he, he bought this rope. And um, he couldn't figure out how to use it. You know, I had to keep on showing them over and over and over again. Well, a year passes and I'm at the same convention. And as soon as the doors open, the guy makes a beeline over to the thing. And he goes, I still can't figure this out. You know, you got to show him. <laughs> and here I'm thinking I'm going to make big bucks. You know, I'm going to get a new rush of people. And I'm fiddling with this guy for 20 minutes, showing him this thing. I sold him 365 days earlier, you know, so you get, you get strange people and, you know, in all, in all areas. And I'm sure Chuck has had experiences um, <laughs> as well. Well, you know, real, real quick, I, I've got a, a story about uh, uh, clowns that are, they're pretty funny. Cause I, I, my, my old house, I used to live next door to a, uh, a girl she was a little bit older than me and her father was a clown <laughs> and yep. he had probably been clowning for over 40 years because i remember him you know in the early 80s you know doing birthday parties and stuff and he did you know his clown stuff you know the balloon animals and you know real small magic stuff you know for you know little kids and he still does stuff for birthday parties and you know um you know, events at hospitals and all that in schools and really nice guy. And I, I tell you what, his, his act is still 
you know, very good and, and very, you know, when I, when I seen it a few times as an adult, you know, very nostalgic, but, but anyway, so his daughter lived next door to me, you know, very nice family and all that. And I would talk to the dad, you know, when he would come over there and he would talk about fishing and hunting and, you know, just, you know, different stuff, yard work and all that, you know, we'd have a conversation, but there would be a few times and, you know, I, I'm not afraid of clowns like, you know, everybody else is, you know, it's just, you know, an act and all that. But <laughs> there's a few times that he would come over there in his full, you know, clown outfit, makeup and everything. And he'd catch me and, hey, hey Joe. And I, you know, hey, say hi. And he'd come over there and, you know, he'd have serious conversations with me about fishing, yard work and all that while he's in this clown outfit. And I'm just <laughs> thinking like, this is just, if any. Like, this is just crazy. This guy's standing in the middle of my yard, full clown regalia. And here we are talking about fishing and about lawnmowers. And yard work. you know, and it was just, I mean, I was trying yeah. to look at it from the outside in. And I'm like, man, this is just crazy looking. <laughs> you, you know something, Joe? Now that everybody bought in the clown, there was something very interesting. Or not interesting, but wait, hold on. I'm getting a double. Okay, everybody can hear me there? Yeah. yeah. Okay, Uh I'm hearing an echo. I don't know if it's me. But anyway, what happened is when I opened up my magic shop, there was a, a guy I met, a Hispanic young kid, and he actually went to Clown College. I think it's down in South Carolina. And what he did was when I had my magic shop, we we kind of made out a deal where I would book shows for him. And he would but he he, he performed both magic and clowning. And uh, this guy, believe it or not, it sounds crazy. He's still in business to this very day. And the way back then, I remember he used to wear the um, uh, the dinosaur suit, the purple dinosaur. What was his name? Barney. Barney. Yeah. Barney. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and and it was kind of funny though because he would. I think the charge was like uh, two hundred and twenty five for the first half hour or hour. And if I'm correct, I think it was seventy five dollars each additional hour. So, you know, he he gave me I think it was fifty dollars for each show I book him. You know. And I would book him every week a couple of shows, and and it was pretty cool. It was it was funny though, but now that you guys mentioned the cloud, I remember that that story in particular. But um, another thing I wanted to tell you guys now that you mentioned clowns is my son is about four years old. Man, the last time I had seen a, an actual circus under the big top was probably in Cuba at the age of four. Wow. Never been to one in this country, right? I'm so excited to drive past uh, Monaki, New Jersey and see a sign saying that there was a circus that day in town. I, I shot down to the circus, and I was there about an hour up before they set up. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. And I go back with my wife and, and my, my daughter and my, my son, who's about four, and I picked the seats right in the front. I paid, I think it was like, I forget, 20 13 or $20 a ticket. And I'm inside this tent, which I always wanted to do since I was a kid be inside the big tent. What I, what I found really uh, interesting was the fact that the tent was so hot and humid, but I was oh, like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that it was like that, right? So I'm excited sitting in the front. Out comes a clown. My son screams, <laughs> and they asked me to move to the top of the thing. I was so pissed, okay? <laughs> so they literally asked me and my wife to move to the top of the uh, arena. And I, I'm kind of mad because I'm like, what about my money? You're going to refund me the difference? Wow, wow. And But anyway, I went up there and I still enjoyed the circus. And, and that was actually, you could say, the first and last time I actually been to the Big Top Circus like that. But I've always enjoyed that. And, and it was kind of funny when you guys mentioned the clown there with, uh, or Dave, how you started the conversation with clowns. But uh, that was an interesting story. Now, Chuck, what do you have? Well, I tell you what, I got a lot of clowns in my family. I really do, but uh, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know what? I tell you what. In all seriousness, though, I, I give I give clowns a lot of credit. I mean, they put that makeup on, and it's it's hot, man. I mean, you know, personally, I would not like to do that. I mean, I I I sweat enough without the you know without the white stuff on the face and everything. But I do give them a lot of credit. They're, they're strange people in all categories. You know oh, what yeah. I've been. You know what? I've been fortunate enough to, you know, you know, to go to certain conventions and I had a great time and I belong to the local, you know, uh, the rings and so forth, you know, uh, but there is a few people that have egos and that's and that's with everything. You know, it shouldn't be like that, though. You know what? I always look out for like a young kid that's coming in there that really doesn't know anybody. You know what? I kind of like to 
I kind of like to talk to someone like that and I like to show them a few things and everything because like that brings back when I was a kid. I mean, I was very, very poor when I grew up. You, you know what? You know what? I could really afford a deck of playing cards when I was a kid. So I would have I would have really appreciated, you know, you know, like an old coming up talking to me, you know, and so forth. But yeah, you know what? And I am a ventriloquist. You, you know what? You could probably find a couple of my old videos on uh, YouTube of me. I did that straight for about 34 years. I would end the magic show with some ventriloquism. In the last couple of years, I kind of omitted it. It was just too much to carry around. I mean, I'm not getting any younger and I bring a ton of stuff as it is. So I kind of, kind of omitted the vent work. As a matter of fact, I have to update my contract. I just been, it says that you've hired magician, Chuck Caputo for accommodation, magic and ventriloquism. I just scratch out the ventriloquism. I said, that doesn't look very professional. I got to actually update these contracts, but, uh, you know what though, but ventriloquism is very, it's, you know, it's like, it's an amazing art. You know what? I'm a big fan of it. And it's, it, it it's, it's a really cool art. Uh, I've, I, you know, personally, I always liked Paul Winchell. I thought he was probably one of the best ventriloquists that ever lived. And, uh, you know, he was just very creative. He, he, uh, he talked very well. His lips never moved. Uh, he did a distant voice over the telephone, which is a, which is a phenomenal feat, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, but Edgar Bergen was very good in his own right as well, you know, but he was on radio when he came to TV, his lips did move, but he used a lot of good comedy material. He was so funny that you really didn't even notice his lips. I mean, he had top of the line comedy writers, you know, which is important. Uh, first vent figure in 1984, which I'm sure Dave would know this guy from George Schindler and he's still alive. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's in his nineties. Uh, he ran a company called showbiz services in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, so he actually, he actually made my first vent figure. Then the second one I got was from Howie Olson, which I forget what state he's in. Uh, he was in at that time, Oklahoma maybe. Uh, but, uh, but he was an old time vent maker. And so he, he custom made me a, a vent figure and I picked up a couple else, you know, like a few others along the way and so forth. And, uh, you know what? I've even tinkered with building a few of them. You know, I, I played around because I like to build stuff. I like to, I like to keep, I like to keep busy when I'm not doing shows. But yeah, but I think all all groups, whether what you belong to, there's a few strange people here and there. There's a, you know, and it shouldn't be that way because everybody should get along. Hey guys, now now speaking of of strange individuals, since you guys have you know performed a lot, do you have any stories on like, uh, you know, maybe some audience members that were maybe you know, a little bit more than uh, desirable at your shows, you know, that maybe put on a show of their own? Yeah. You know what? Throughout the years, adult shows around Christmas time. I mean, people drink, they, they, they drink a lot and the women, you know, sometimes the women get a little crazy and uh, yeah, they'll come up and, you know, kind of, kind of get a little flirtatious, you know, which is kind of funny in a way. Uh, one fire hall had a big dog. It was, they, they kept the dog there. It was a great Dane, if I'm not mistaken. And this one woman come up, she was drinking a little bit and she kissed the dog on the side of his face and, and he had big red lips in front of him. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah. So throughout the years, you, you know what you, you, you know, you do run into some, some, some crazy stuff. There was a trade show I did where they hired a robot. It was pretty cool. It, it was the actual robot from Rocky three or Rocky four. I can't remember which one, but it's a really cool robot from uh, Switzerland. And, uh, and, and the women were, you know, some of the women were getting kind of intoxicated and they were dancing with it. They were, they were yeah, so they were like climbing up on top of it. You know, and it, it was, it was kind of funny. I was doing close up magic going from table to table, you know, and everything. But uh, yeah, throughout the years, I mean, you do experience a lot of stuff. I mean, uh, but like you said, Joe, you have to roll with it. You know what? You, you can't let it distract you. You know, you got to continue on with your job. You know, I think most people mean well. I mean, there, there's a few, you know, that, that maybe don't but i think the majority and thank uh, and thank goodness the majority of the shows i had you know the people were very very nice well, uh chuck uh, dave, dave what chuck, about you have you had any any good stories of any uh ornery crowd members i mean like you know chuck mentioned with people are drinking and so forth then it you know it could get out of control there's sometimes uh individuals that um you know may try to mess up what you're doing or you know you never do you never really you try to select certain people if they're going to help and so forth but like you know if you ask for audience participation 
usually, you know, you'll select someone, uh, they look like they're uncomfortable, you know, you, or they don't want to come up. You, you don't want to embarrass them and have them be part of it. But I remember once, you know, saying something like, you know, I need a volunteer. And I had like, you know, six people jump up on the stage, you know, like running <laughs> over and coming up and knocking your stuff over, touching things. But that was like a, a New Year's type thing. And the atmosphere was rowdy. And to be, be honest with you, I think no matter what I did that that evening, um, it didn't really matter because they didn't even know where, where they were at, you know. <laughs> um, and the same as um, I've done. I, I was always hired by this one agent to do um, convalescent homes and uh, assisted living facilities. And those places is usually they're they're really great. I mean, you know, their their job is very demanding, and it takes a special person to to work at one of those facilities. But when you first start doing a, like a convalescent home, uh, you have to get used to it because Sometimes there's, you know, there's an audience there, but they're not there. They're, I, I remember my first time saying when I left there, I said, I don't think they even know what I was doing. Half of the people are looking to the left or out the window. They're not right. looking, they're not looking directly at me, you right. know, and it's like disconcerting, but then you just understand. Or I remember a woman falling asleep and, you know, she was snoring very, very loud sure. and, uh, all the people around are hitting her like, Mary, wake up, wake up. You know, so there's a lot of distractions in, um, you know, different settings. Well, you know, they, I, they, they, they might've been awake if you did your stripper routine. <laughs> that's true. Mary, I, I, I wake could, up the strippers. <laughs> I could imagine I could come and dress like an old person and throw the cane away and rip off the clothes. Yeah, I know. There you yeah. go. <laughs> hey, hey, Chuck, Chuck. Uh, how tall was that robot you were there with? He, he was pretty tall. I'd say about seven. Not, not seven feet tall? Yeah, about seven feet. It was uh, pretty tall. Should we take, take a drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that robot. That was, uh, what, Uncle Polly's robot. Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that was the exact same one. And, and there was a guy, I think, talking into his wristwatch because I'm wondering, who's controlling this thing? So, so <laughs> I was kind of like following it a little bit, looking around. I think there was a guy talking in his wristwatch. Uh, he was walking like off to the side of it, but it was really cool. It was, it was a cool robot. One more quick thing does stand out guys. Uh, this had to be about 15 years ago. I don't, I don't take shows anymore on, on, uh, on the major holidays, but, but back then I still did a few times. And one of the last things I did was new year's Eve, just like Dave said. And this was like a German f festival and it was in a German town somewhere. I and on New Year's Eve, it was about 14 degrees, maybe somewhere around there. So uh, my wife and I pull up. It was it was it was just getting dark, and so I so the guy greeted me that hired me, and I said, "Okay, where do you want me to set up at?" He said, "He said right here, outside on the stage in 14 degree weather." I said, "What? You gotta be <laughs> you gotta be kidding me!" I said, "You know what? You know you know when it comes to this business, you can't assume anything. I just assume they're gonna have something indoors. You can't assume anything." German band playing on the on the stage. I mean, these guys had had lighter hosing on, and they're playing the you know the squeeze boxes. And uh, so I asked the guys in the back. I said, "Listen, can you go up, move up a little bit? I could at least use part of the stage to set, to set up on." And they said, "No." They told me, "No." I said, "You got to be kidding me!" So I had to set up on the ground in the parking lot. Put all my tables in there. I'm set, I'm freezing. I'm like shaking. I'm shivering. Uh, so my wife was in the van. We had a van at that time, and she had the rabbit and the dog. And she had it nice and warm in there. And I said, I am so cold. I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. I'm shivering. So, so finally, when these guys got done playing their German music, I went up on stage. I carried my stuff up. And I could tell this, the, the, the magic apparatus was almost frozen. I mean, it just wasn't going to work. And I told the audience, I said, listen, I said, I'm, I'm freezing up here. I said, there's a good chance a lot of this stuff just isn't going to work. And uh, sure as heck, when I started the show, stuff was sticking. It just wasn't, it wasn't up to par. You know, but that was that was really strange, and and so I couldn't wait to get in that van. I I packed my stuff up. I drove home, and at that time, I think the Sci Fi Channel still has Twilight Zones on. I'm I'm a big uh, Twilight Zone fan, so oh, we yeah. came. Yeah, so we came home. I said I want to watch Twilight Zones. I had the kibasi in the crockpot. I was all set, man. I said I want to 
I want to warm up, watch Twilight Zones, and just take it easy. And that's exactly <laughs> what I did. <laughs> uh, one of the things that Chuck mentioned earlier about the going uh, to the entertain for the nuns and going up to the door and so forth, it reminded me of a story where a gentleman hired me um, to do magic for his fiance. But basically what he wanted me to do was produce a ring and he was going to propose. He's going to take the ring and, and uh, propose. Um, and I remember being very uncomfortable because of the instructions that he gave me. It was in the fall, like around October. Remember it was in New Haven, Connecticut. And he, you know, he gave me the address. And of course in the fall, it gets dark around four, four thirty, And I was to be there like at eight o'clock at night. And he lived in a, a two family home um, or lived upstairs or something. And he said, well, what you're going to do is, you know, park on the street. You're going to go through the yard. You're going to go around the corner. You're going to see a dumpster there. You're going to go through this door. You're going to go up two flights of stairs. You're going to go. And I said, okay. And, uh, where are you guys going to be? Well, we're going to be having a candlelight dinner in the dining room. <laughs> and I remember doing all, going through all these motions and saying, I feel like I'm being set up here, you know, like I'm, I'm coming into this house and it was pitch black. Um, and he says, yeah, you're going to walk in the kitchen. The back door will be open. You know, I've, I don't know who this person is. And I stupidly, I mean, I, I took, I took the, the gig and, um, I remember opening up like, you know, the swinging doors, like in the kitchen and they're sitting there, the both of them you know, like at a candlelight dinner, there's like one candle. And I know I felt like it was like that opening scene in creep show, you know, <laughs> and I, I, uh, she must've been tipped off because, you know, if you're having dinner and this guy just burst out through your kitchen, you know, say what the hell is going on? But I produced the ring and I forgot, I forgot what I, how I even, what I did if I use like flash paper, flash papers, you know, where there's like a, a burst of light and so forth. And then he took the ring. And then I got the hell out of there. But I just remember how strange, how strange I would never do that today, yeah. you know, because yeah. if I was in the wrong house walking around, you know, a shop. But when I think back, I said, boy, that was kind of stupid. But it just it was an airy thing. And once I was already into it, there was like no turning back, you know, because right. I didn't want to disappoint him. Exactly. But um, Yeah. <laughs> Man, those are some crazy stories, but I still cannot get over the stripper story, man. I uh, yeah, yeah. Dave, Dave's Dave stuff is all funny. Mine is bizarre or just crazy. Oh, uh, that that's great. I, I tell you what, though, Chuck, I would have now going back to the nun story. Did you do horror magic for them, or what kind of magic was it? Because I would think with some nuns doing horror magic, you kind of. <laughs> kind of weird with them. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it, it was it was pretty much standard magic. I think I did a rising cards where the card rose out of the pack, but that but that was about it. Yeah, no, I kept it I kept it pretty benign. And uh, I tell you what, they were great people. But the but the thing that Dave just mentioned about the ring, I had one time. <clears throat> it was a country club out here in Pittsburgh, and and they closed since then. But it was a beautiful country club, and a guy hired me oh. 30 years ago he for the exact same thing he, he met me in the uh, lobby and he actually gave me the ring you know i mean man is that trusting by today's standards i mean yeah, really yeah so he actually gave me a ring and i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of thinking oh man i hope you know what i hope no stones drop out of this or anything <laughs> but, <laughs> but i did a sponge ball routine and i put the sponge ball in her hand and i substitute i thumb palmed the sponge ball and i dropped the ring in her hand hand up the ring appeared and so she started crying you know and stuff like that but uh and probably about 10 years later they were at another show that i did and they come up to me and they said we were the ones at the country club i said wow that's great i said so so everything's working out they said yeah so that yeah so that had a that had a nice ending and uh but yeah i i, I did the exact same thing but it wasn't through a, a dark house or anything it, it was at it was at a country club yeah, cool. now, have, yeah. You, now, have either of you guys done like um uh, like children's birthday parties or events at you know like a middle school or anything oh absolutely sure yeah now, how, now how, how are those audiences compared to you know the adult audiences are they, are they pretty you know well behaved or they get kind of well i could i could tell you from my experience you know what uh 
kids kids are very honest. Um, I, I mean, you know what? You have to be flawless. If they see a if a scarf is supposed to vanish and they see it hanging out of your sleeve or something, they're going to say, "Hey, there it goes right there." So you have to be <laughs> have to be you know you what you have to be a perfectionist. And kids will take advantage if you let them. I mean, I always nip it in the bud. If there's an unruly kid, I say, "Hey, sit down." you know you know quiet watch the show you know i just i just fire off with them immediately you know what i'm kind of strict when it comes to that stuff if you let one kid get out of hand it'll spread it'll spread and it'll it'll contaminate the whole audience and they'll all take advantage of you you know what so i kind of get smart with them a little bit you know and it kind of keeps them under control but the, the the vast majority have been fine but there are a few kids that could be unruly but you have to nip it in the bud yeah you know i i asked that because i remember back in you know, the 80s and early 90s when middle school birthday parties, it was really big to have. Usually you had a, a clown there that did uh, did some type of magic or if it was a school, you had some type of magic. And I just remember everybody was just, you know, eyes glued to the, the person yeah. and everybody, you know, you could have probably heard a pin drop because, we were right. just so, you know, there was no Internet or nothing. So, you know, we only got to see this once in a while unless the circus came into town then you would see a little bit of magic there but that would be maybe once or twice a year so i would just you know wonder how today's audience of kids because you know their attention span so limited you know how they would compare to yeah i you know what i think years ago when when the mass magician revealed a lot of stuff uh there there were you know most kids had an attitude they would what you know like uh before i even began that say oh i know how your how all your stuff is done i watched the mass magician you know so you know now now speaking of that what what is your guys take on that whole because i remember when that came out and and watching it and i was i was very interested in it and it really didn't ruin anything for me because i still you know even if i watched the same trick that i knew how it was done i I was if the performer was good i still you know enjoyed it but i always Mm -hmm. wondered and I don't know if we talked about it on here, you know, what, what's the magician's perspective on that? What's, you know, the community as a whole, their, their perspective on this guy going public with, with all that stuff. Yeah. If I could just take a couple minutes, you, you know what? I, I think, I think the majority of magicians were disgusted, you know, kind of mad. And uh, you know, what was strange though, the mass magician revealed things, but like a lot of the illusions, the bigger illusions, he didn't reveal uh, how the common method was done. I mean, like when he did the metamorphosis where, where, you know, where the, where the girl changed, where the guy changes to the girl on top of the box, the method he used was bizarre. I've, I've never seen that type of method, you know? Uh, yeah. So, so certain things he didn't reveal exactly how it was done, you, you, you know, but then for certain stage tricks, yeah, he did. So yeah, overall, I, I think it did kind of make us mad, but you know what? We had the attitude, just ignore him. He'll go away, which is what he did. And nobody really even heard of this guy it was vel valentino i never heard of the man and uh the one thing that did make me mad at that time i did have a zigzag illusion i was trying to sell you know you know where the girl gets in the upright cabin you put the blades in you pour midsection to the side mm-hmm. and he was just going to reveal it like literally the next episode and i sold it to some guy in ohio you know like uh, like five days before it came out i said thank god i, I sold this thing yeah. <laughs> but you know why because like my wife is like five foot eight and and that takes a girl like five foot four or something so like when we got married i said user so i just had to sell it yeah now D- dave what's your perspective on that well i mean i mean i remember that very well when um you know i believe that was like on fox and so forth and that it, you know it was a very popular show Yes. And at our at our uh, local International Brotherhood of Magician uh, gatherings, we talk about it and so forth. And a lot of the illusion builders, you know, that had maybe an exclusivity on something, they were infuriated that that was happening. They said they're going to sue and this and that. But, you know, exposés and magic have been going on for many, many years. I mean, back in the 30s and 40s and so forth, there was an uproar with uh, camel cigarettes doing an expose and you know showing how tricks were done through basically like advertising forums and so forth so it was really nothing new um but it was a it was a you know f- just for ratings but i think a lot of the people that watched it if they went to say las vegas a month later they probably wouldn't even remember you know what the method was or you know what was going on uh because 
they they would watch it on TV and say, oh, that's interesting. And then they would just forget about it. You right. know, it, it was unfortunate that it happened. But um, like Chuck said, you know, no one knew who this guy was. And when it was over, it was over, you know, and um, exactly. something like the zigzag, which is a very popular trick invented by a guy named Bob Harbin. Um, I mean, everyone had one of those in the 1970s that did magic. It was such a popular, you know, thing. But now the mask magician's gone, but look what we have. We have something called YouTube. And um, a lot of the kids go on and they'll, they'll watch, you know, how something's done. I mean, if you type in anything practically on YouTube, as far as a trick, there's someone exposing it. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So it just, yeah, it's correct. just part of the, part of the, you know, the times and that's, it's been going on forever. Yeah. You know, now, Eddie, what's your, what's your take on that? Because I know you you have a unique perspective on it. You know, coming from, you know, the side that you do. What what did you think about that whole? I mean, I I love that particular show. But one thing I'm going to say, and and this is an answering Dave. One of the things that you would find in YouTube, for some reason, even though the most magic tricks get exposed, I would say eighty percent. There's a minor. Uh, amount that doesn't and one of them for example was the Tanyo floating rock mm, it was yeah. done by a couple of people but uh, you couldn't actually see how the darn trick actually worked and <laughs> and here I am trying to find out how it worked and I wound up because um, I had one and I lost it in a fire way back in 1995 I wound up giving $106 for one of those things uh, <laughs> just to trigger it figure it out because I was trying to develop my own magic trick and I was wanted to see you know that had worked and it was kind of <laughs> it was kind of crazy but that's what i'm saying i couldn't find and i've i've had the situation a lot where some tricks are just not exposed they're, they're done uh but there's really like you would have to go on the internet and do further research or something for somebody to actually write something about it and i found that very interesting because most of the time you would be able to find it now one thing i'm going to tell you guys overall though the mass magician when he came on I enjoyed the show. I thought it was kind of cool and everything, but it's like you said, I'm sure infuriate, infuri I can't even get the word out, infuriated people, got them very mad, uh, you know, especially people that were making money with the trade and stuff. But I want to ask you another question, uh, Chuck, talking about this, and, and you had mentioned uh, recently a magician that you knew passed away that was very old, uh, I believe 98 years old. What was his name? Uh, Joe Capone, yep. That's the guy you mentioned, Joe Capone? Yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah, I, I, I was wondering. And um, there was one particular magician, I think it was called Pinos, if, I, if I'm correct, uh, the name he went under, very prof a professional magician uh, that I got to know a while back. I, I didn't actually get to know him. I got to know his ex-wife. And uh, I saw, you know, they had performed in Radio City Music Hall and a lot of places. And I was actually honored to be able to get a little bit of his collection Um at his passing, uh, Dave has seen some of the stuff there. That's great. Um, but yes, anyway, about, about 800 VHS tapes, right, Eddie? Wow. Well, probably more than that. What was it? <laughs> I got about 800, uh, what is it, uh, Linking Ring or whatever the magazine Oh, yeah, called? well, yeah, Linking Rings, yep, yep, that's from the IBM. Eddie, one thing I just want to mention, when you mentioned about that Tenyo Magic Rock, I got a, I got a story about that. That when that came out, that was created by a guy named uh, Luber Fielder, and um, you know when you have an idea and you go to Tenyo, uh, they make you sign a contract and all this, and if they like it, they'll they'll you know they'll pay you a percentage or a royalty. So he came out with that trick with the floating rock. But when I had my magic shop, um, the local magic clubs met there, you know, the first Monday or the fourth Friday of the month or whatever. And there was one gentleman, um, he was from Czechoslovakia, an older guy who was an American citizen, but he still had a very uh, thick accent. And, his, and he did a very classical act with color changing records and silks and so forth. And he would go over to the Czech Republic a couple times a year, and he would bring exotic, what I thought was exotic magic, things that you couldn't get in the United States and I would, you know, pay him to bring things over because they were interesting and they were like, you know, you wouldn't see them here and the quality was very good. Well, he wanted to bring these, uh, they couldn't get the Tenyo floating rock. 
So I was getting them wholesale. And um, I remember before he left, he's, you know, they were in this plastic packaging. He says, well, I got to bring this and this over to check. I got to fit all this in my suitcase. So we dismantled all the packaging and put the, the rocks, you know, it's like really this like plastic rock into a suitcase. And he was bringing other things he wanted to bring over there. And I said, okay, we'll trade for this and you'll bring back stuff for me. Well, he went through JFK. He got detained because when they, when they ran his luggage and stuff through the scanners, they, the, the way I don't want to expose the trick, but you know, it's a rock that basically floats on a platform. Well, it involves like a plastic type of a piston and springs and so Mm -hmm. forth concealed inside of this rock. Well, when, you know, he was bringing like 85 of them or over there when they ran when they when they ran his luggage through it came up if you could picture like on a screen these rocks or these objects that look like rocks with all these metal springs inside (laughs) i I hate to bust in now but we are about 30 seconds over our our time here so we're gonna have to wrap it up here very quickly so uh Chuck, Dave, I want to thank you guys again for coming on and, and you guys will definitely, you know, have to join us again. And, and I'm sure there's, there's plenty more stories. So thanks again for joining us. Everybody yeah, out was, there. That was fun. Thank, thank you. you guys. Everybody out there in podcast land. Thanks again for joining us. Like, and subscribe us like, and subscribe to us on our YouTube channel and any of the, your favorite platforms that you listen to our, our show. So thanks everybody. And good night. Okay. Good night. Good night. God bless. God bless. Friend.